Here's the question we'll mull over with you today on Abounding Grace. The question today is, are you moving forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ? Now, you might get upset and say, wait a minute, Ed. Wait, Pastor. Hold on a second. You can't say that I'm backsliding because I'm a Christian and I go to church when I feel like it. And I read my Bible sometimes and I still obey God unless I don't like it. And there's a constant battle in our lives for forward progress. Here's the problem with backsliding, even in its smallest forms. The problem is, is that you're not where you once were. You've regressed. Your life has slid backwards. You're slipping away. This is amazing grace. As we return to John chapter 18 today on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor draws our attention to a close disciple of the Lord who would deny him. We'll examine Peter's downward spiral in order to help us remain strong in the Lord. And as 1 Corinthians puts it, therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. We're all quite capable of stumbling just as Peter did, so we do well to look carefully at what led to his backsliding. Again, John chapter 18 is the place to be. Here's Pastor Ed. Open your Bibles to John's Gospel chapter 18. And I draw your attention there to verse 15 where we left off. As Jesus is there in the garden, they've come to arrest him and take him away. And in verse 15 it says, John 18, Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl, verse 17, who kept the door, said to Peter, You are not also one of those men's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. And the servants and the officers who had made a fire of coal stood there. And it was cold. And they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. Nobody ever really thinks they're going to backslide. Nobody plans for it. It's not on your calendar that on a certain day you're going to make a decision to turn and walk away from the Lord, to not be as passionate anymore, to not care, to not read your Bible anymore, to not pray, to not be in church, to not raise your kids. And that nobody plans for that. It's a lot like marriage. I've had the a privilege of officiating many marriages here and to be a part of much premarital counseling. And never, and I do mean that in the absolute sense, never have I met a couple so excited for their wedding day, so excited to, to have that day of vows and to spend their whole life together. Never have I met a couple that said, you know, I think it'll work about six months and then I'm divorcing her. Never. Nobody plans for divorce. It's so difficult and so hard, and neither should we. 
It's not God's heart for us to backslide. It's not God's heart for us to divorce. It's so painful and so difficult, as many of you know. When it comes to following Jesus, we all want to grow. We want to grow in our love relationship. We want to grow in our service. We we want to do more, not less. Because following Jesus is so exciting and it's so wonderful. And almost always there's that attitude of, let's grow and let's go and let's do this for the Lord. Even facing setbacks and even facing spiritual warfare and even with feelings of wanting to quit, we're like, no way. We're going to make it. We're going to endure. We're going to see what God has promised when he said that that which he's begun in us, he's faithful to complete it. And yet life is not always like that. Life's not always let's grow and let's go. We all have seasons of difficulty and resistance. And some of us, unfortunately, backslide. Now, some of you might be asking, what is backsliding? Because there are some within the church today that say that backsliding doesn't exist and it, it doesn't happen. And yet the Bible uses the word at least 20 times in the Old Testament. And the principle of backsliding is all throughout the New Testament. For example, if you want to jot it down in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 14, the Bible says, The backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways, but a good man will be satisfied from above. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 22 Return, you backslidden children, and I will heal your backslidings. Indeed, we do come to you, for you are the Lord our God. Psalm 44, verse 17. All this has come upon us, but we have not forgotten you, nor have we dealt falsely with your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed. It's the same Hebrew word from your way. The Hebrew word for backsliding literally means to turn away or to turn back. And the English word is very fitting. It means to slide backwards from your relationship with Jesus Christ. We find a great description of this in the New Testament from the author to the Hebrews, jotted down in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Be careful of departing. Be careful of sliding away. Watch out and exhort one another. You see, a believer in Jesus Christ is one that has been born again. A believer. Another way of describing the Bible describes it as a follower or as a disciple. Someone that's following Jesus has experienced new spiritual life. Only God himself can give you and me spiritual life. Jesus described it as being born again, literally. While you're in the same shell and you have the same looks and the same body and the same house and the same car, when you are born again, God changes you on the inside. And over time, he changes you on the outside. Salvation, you could say, is an inside job. And God alone can give you new life. Part of salvation just simply can't be explained. There, There is a mystery to it. It's like the wind. We see the effects of the wind but it can be very difficult to grasp the wind and really understand its full dynamics unless you spend your whole life studying such things, weather patterns and such. Well, salvation is very similar. 
where you see a person that was going in one direction, and then the very next day, that person's going in, an, in the exact opposite direction, and the only thing that they can attribute that to is that they believed what Jesus Christ said and committed their life to him. And out of that transaction, God gives them new life. But there's part of it that we can't explain, and I think Jesus puts it well when he says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, listen, Jesus says, come to me, all, and that means all, Everyone has the opportunity to come to Jesus, especially those that labor and are heavy laden. And Jesus promises, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. What a beautiful description of salvation. Rest for your souls. Because the greatest issue with man today is soul sickness. Your soul. Who you are that will outlast this body. Soul sickness. That's been touched by sin. Willful acts against a holy and righteous God. Not only were we born in sin, we commit sin, so we're doubly guilty. And God has sent Jesus into this world to deal with our soul sickness. You know how it is when you get the flu. Man, I'm the biggest baby when I get sick. That's just the way it is. I'm the biggest baby, and I wish Marie would do what my mom did. She refuses to do it. But my mom gave me a bell. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why Marie won't do that. Somebody needs to email the woman and say, give the man a bell. (laughs) But I'm telling you, when I'm sick, I'm thinking of one thing and one thing only. I want to get well. I hate being sick. I hate the flu. I don't want to feel so bad. I wish I could just ring a bell and be done. But listen, the soul sickness, in a very real way, you can ring the bell of faith and be done. God is ready to forgive you today. And those of you that have experienced salvation. You have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a glorious relationship. The Christian life is one of progression. It's one of making progress. The Bible describes the Christian life as a walk and sometimes as a run. And that always implies forward motion, progression, and spiritual growth. Just like a a baby, just, just like a baby, we expect that baby to grow at certain stages in their life. We, we, are, we are so blessed. Last week, we were so blessed. We had baby dedication at every service. Beautiful, wonderful, glorious families. What a, what a joy to be able to come alongside families and say, Let's raise, we're going to be with you to raise your kids in the ways of the Lord. And you see how it was at, at, at last service. They, they handed me that precious little baby with the deep blue eyes. And I got to hold that baby. And she was right there on me. And we prayed for her. I could hold that baby as long as I could and be able to practice those skills that God has given me to love children. It's awesome. It's wonderful. And, and I handed them back to the parents. And we expect that baby to grow and to grow in grace. But you haven't seen me, have you? Have a family bring a 16-year-old and then say that 16-year-old, okay, jump into my arms. And do a baby dedication with a 16-year-old. You okay? You know, it's like, no, that's weird. Because at 16, we expect a 16-year-old to decide for herself to follow Jesus Christ. Not a baby. A baby doesn't understand yet. So we pray for that baby by faith in the future. But, But as that baby grows to 16, it's not a baby dedication anymore. 
It's today is a day of salvation, and we explain the gospel to that 16-year-old. And I'm not going to hold a six. Don't don't even try it. I'm not going to hold a 16-year-old in my arms and dedicate a, a teenage. You know, have a teenage dedication service because when a teenager grows up, I mean, when a baby grows up, to we expect things different. We expect that progress. We we don't want a 16-year-old to come up here and, and say, "Would you please dedicate?" Because they still act like a baby. And you got to knock the bottle out of their hands and get rid of the pacifier. No, that, that's not what we expect from children. We expect them to grow. Same thing with the Christian life. There's an expectation that we grow and make progress and go forward. And that means, as a believer, you're either moving forward or you're moving backward. You're either gaining ground or you're losing ground. There are only two options here. Forward or backward? You go, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I'm not moving forward or backward. I'm just kind of standing still. Well, by this definition of the Bible, standing still is going backwards. There's always a progression in the Christian's life, even if it's small and seemingly insignificant. There's always a progress. Standing still, the Bible calls stagnation. It calls lukewarmness standing still. If you're not moving forward, you're potentially backsliding. And so the question today is, are you moving forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ? Now you might get upset and say, wait a minute, Ed, wait, pastor, hold on a second. You can't say that I'm backsliding because I'm a Christian and I go to church when I feel like it and I read my Bible sometimes and I still obey God unless I don't like it. And there's a constant battle in our lives for forward progress. Here's the problem with backsliding, even in its smallest forms. The problem is is that you're not where you once were. You've regressed. Your life has slid backwards. You're slipping away. And that's why we need to take practical precautions. Anyone, anyone can fall away from the Lord. Anyone can take steps away from the Lord anyone can go back and live a life that's inconsistent with their born-again life and thus backslide. I don't care how long they've been a Christian, how long they've been in a church, how much of the Bible they've memorized, how much God has used them, how much that God has, has, you've seen in their lives, so much great fruit. Anyone, you can write this down in your notes, you can write it down. Anyone can backslide. You can even say this, I can backslide. And I don't mind if you put Pastor Ed in there because that's true. I can backslide, but it's really, so can you. Any of us can. Anyone could fall away. And the moment that we begin to doubt is the moment that we're taking a step toward doing it. So today, in our remaining time, I want to teach you how not to backslide. And by teaching you how not to backslide, we're going to look at someone that did. I want to show you what to watch out for in your life. And we're going to learn from the famous backsliding of Peter. Now, we've already looked at a synopsis in John 18. Would you turn with me to Luke's gospel, which is to the left from John, chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. I want to give you six things, you note takers, six things that we see in Peter's life that we want to watch out for in ours. And if anyone can backslide, and they can then everyone needs to hear this message and receive this warning and be prepared to walk forward and strongly with the Lord. Notice verse 31, Luke 22. 
And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, and we already learned from John that his name was Simon Peter. So he says, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Let's just pause there for a second and soak that in. Jesus having a conversation with Peter, looks him right in the eye and says something like this. Peter, the devil has asked for you. I mean, can you imagine what that sounded like? The devil comes to to Jesus and says, give me the fishermen. I want the fishermen. I want Peter. And I want Peter because I want to sift him like wheat. Now, when we think of sifting, we think of baking cookies and cakes and getting that little thing out and putting the flour in and shaking that thing, whatever, I guess you call it a sifter, whatever it is, and you're shaking that thing, and maybe you got one that you have a and it's kind of through and it's all nice. That's not what is being displayed here, making a cake kind of sifting. The idea of sifting wheat was to lay out the harvested wheat on a threshing floor and to put it out on on a blanket, on on a cloth, and they would take uh, sticks and they would beat it and beat it and beat it. And then they'd lift that up and they'd shake it in the air and the chaff would flow on and they'd put it down and they'd beat it some more to separate the wheat from the chaff, the, the very kernel from the husk. And it was a violent, painful, if you were the wheat, you would not like it to be beaten so bad for the purposes you, you probably would think as sometimes you do in spiritual trials and battles knowing that God's working and knowing there's sifting and knowing there's, you, you, you might think if you were the wheat, you just think, isn't there an easier way to do this that doesn't cost so much pain? You're looking at Jesus in the eyes and he says, the devil's asked for you. He's asked for you. And notice the answer or the, as Jesus continues, he says, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you've returned to me, strengthen your brethren. And you say, wait a minute. Jesus, why didn't you just say no? He asked for me and you didn't tell him no? Thanks for praying for me. Thanks for praying for me. But why didn't you tell him no? He says, I pray that your faith should not fail. And when you've returned to me, you know what Jesus is saying here? Peter, you're going to backslide. You're going to get through it. And when you're done and you come back, strengthen your brethren. He doesn't understand this. He doesn't know it. We get to read it from the perspective of knowing what happened, but Peter doesn't understand. But there's words of hope here. I mean, personally, I like the words of hope. I don't want to be sifted. Thank you very much, Jesus. Just say no. Just call him back and say no. You can't have the fishermen. But that's not real life. And here's Peter being, he's, he's being told and prophesied, really, you're going to backslide, Peter. Peter, one of the disciples, is going to walk away. Peter answers, it says, in verse 33, he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And then he said, I'll tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. Or in Matthew 26, Matthew says, Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Such passion, such commitment, such loyalty in Peter. Attributes that we've studied in previous studies. You should get the study from, uh, you know, from last week or from the previous weeks that we built this through the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, they're up on the website. Follow along with us verse by verse. Let the Holy Spirit really show you that these attributes are wonderful. We want to be filled with passion. We want to be filled with commitment. We want to be filled with loyalty. Th- these are key ingredients for a healthy relationship. And yet, 
There's something about this that we can't miss. And here's number one of one of the mistakes that Peter makes. Peter is self-confident when he should be selfless. Peter is self-confident when he should be selfless. Jesus just revealed Judas would betray him. Peter responds with a boast of his commitment. A boast of his commitment. Even comparing himself to the others. Saying that he is better than the others. Even if everyone denies you, I won't deny you, Peter says. And at first, I mean, it sounds great. It sounds wonderful. But in reality, it shows a self-confidence that will yield to his falling away temporarily. And let me just say, having served people for many, many years, I'm always concerned It always concerns me when I see or hear anyone that makes themselves look better by putting someone else down. That is not from the Lord. That does not reflect the Holy Spirit in someone's life. Putting themselves up by making sure they put someone else down. That's not from the Lord. And we see that in Peter's life. Peter's boasting of his commitment, boasting of his dedication, selfishly. This is what it comes down to. Sometimes the areas that you fall in are the areas where you think you're the strongest. Because it makes sense, doesn't it? You see an area that you know is weak, and you'll put up a guard there. I mean, you'll set things up, and I need accountability partners. I need somebody to call me. I'm going to stay away from that. Not going to watch that anymore. Not going to travel. Going to change my... Yes, of course, of course. You see a weakness. You're like, no way. No more. Never again. And you place a strength there and a guard, and you build a wall to protect yourself. Yes. But the areas that we think we're strong in get ignored. And it's in that ignoring period that we're attacked in something that we thought we were so strong in. Things, places where you think you're strong, you lower your guard. Places where you're weak, you build it up. An unguarded strength is a double weakness. An unguarded strength is a double weakness. I may watch out in an area of vulnerability, but lower my guard in the area where I think I'm strong, and that might be the place that I fall in. So be careful. Be self-confident. You're listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Hear his study again right now at AboundingGraceRadio.com or through the Calvary Church app. Pastor Ed, in today's lesson, you're giving us several things to watch out for so we don't turn into a backslider. And the first has to do with self-confidence. And yet, would you agree that self-confidence is often encouraged and admired in the world as we know it, making it all the more challenging? You know, Larry, it is encouraged. I think that this emphasis in our world today on self-esteem and pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and doing it all on your own and you don't need any help can mix up in our minds what God is really looking for in our confidence. And of course, it spills over. I mean, if you, it really speaks of priorities, doesn't it? Our confidence is in the Lord. He is our Savior, our Creator, our Sustainer. He empowers us, leads us, guides us, and our confidence is in Him. And what that translates into is a confidence that emboldens ourselves, but not in a bad way. Like we're walking in that dependence upon the Lord. And if you're not careful, though, uh, you'll you'll begin to be self-centered. And that's really the key. What's the center of your confidence And, you know, sometimes people might even misunderstand that. They might misunderstand your confidence in the Lord as 
kind of selfish, sinful self-confidence, but you know in your own heart of hearts the level of dependence that you have upon the Lord. And, and so watch out for it. And I know that the Lord will encourage you and strengthen you in this challenging area of your life. But the more you surrender, the more confidence you have in the Lord. Thanks, Ed. You'll sure want to tune in next time when we'll share more things to watch out for so you don't become a backslider. And we also have a book we'd like to get into your hands that can help you answer common questions about Christianity and the Bible. It's 5-Minute Apologetics for Today, 365 Quick Answers to Key Questions. Now, this will serve to help you answer questions about evolution and creation, alleged contradictions, and general accusations concerning the Bible. Learn how to answer the claims of cults and ethical issues like abortion or divorce. Again, that's 5-Minute Apologetics for Today by Ron Rhodes. Request a copy when you give a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. We're here to serve you at 877-30-GRACE. Again, our phone number, 877-30-GRACE. And thank you for helping us get the word out on stations like this one. As you partner with us, it's thrilling to see how God uses it in great ways to bless and encourage so many lives through the radio and the Internet. Another convenient way to make a donation is online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Celebrating God's faithfulness and goodness, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Come back next time when we'll return to our study of John. This is amazing grace This is unfailing love That you would take my place That you would bear my cross You laid down your life That I would be set Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.